BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and producing natural gas with fewer emissions in the Permian Basin. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. I'm Kara Swisher, and you're listening to Sway. My guest today, Congressman Ken Buck, has been at the forefront of the Republican Party's efforts to regulate Silicon Valley. He's the ranking member of the House Antitrust Subcommittee. He teamed up with Democratic Congressman David Cicilline to introduce a package of antitrust legislation this summer aimed at companies like Amazon, Apple, Facebook, and Google. So I wanted to talk to Buck about what will actually get passed what the Facebook files and whistleblower revelations mean for the regulatory road ahead, and whether he'll be able to bring along his fellow Republicans, some of whom think antitrust is just a euphemism for big government. Congressman Buck, welcome to Sway. Thank you. It's good to be with you. So I wanted to get a sense of what brought you yourself here. You represent Colorado's 4th Congressional District, which covers the eastern part of the state, and issue-wise, That screams energy and agriculture, not tech. So talk a little bit about what brought you into big tech and antitrust and focusing in on these companies. Well, David, uh, Chairman Cicilline has been a great leader and really reached out um, in a bipartisan way. And I very much appreciated that. And we conducted a series of hearings together last year. and, And one of them was in Boulder, Colorado. And when I listened to the testimony of these small startups and how they've been treated by these four monopolies that you listed, uh, I was really shaken by it, I guess. I, I was a prosecutor for 25 years, and, and I the, the conduct of these companies was akin to the kind of white-collar crime that I was used to seeing, not uh, the kind of uh, business activity that, that one would expect to see from uh, companies that are, uh, the, these startups are actually clients. They're uh, putting their products on Amazon, on Google, and, and to have them just abused and, and, and cheated in the way that they were uh, just offended me. And I uh, decided that this was a, a really worthwhile project to spend time on. Was there one thing that, that bothered you? Oh, I, I could give you dozens of examples. Uh, Amazon, for example, allegedly offered to invest in certain companies and receive proprietary information from those companies and then went and duplicated their product. And uh, so the, the, just the, the lying of we're interested in investing in your product and then using that information uh, to, to unfairly compete is, uh, it, to my mind, is fraud. And I saw the same thing with uh, Google. Uh, there's a, a company that produces music lyrics, and, and Google allegedly uh, just kept copying those music lyrics. And then they did the same thing with Yelp. And, and it's, it's, it's just not the way we should be doing business in America. And uh, now there are bad actors outside of monopolies, but um, I believe that these four companies uh, got away with what they got away with because they are monopolies. So you use the term monopoly. You're a lawyer. You're someone who understands these distinctions. Most people throw around the word monopoly in a way that doesn't necessarily apply. But talk to me about, from a legal perspective, why you think that is the case. 
Well, let me let me back up one second and tell you, as a conservative, I don't think big is bad. I, I think big is great. I, I think that uh, a lot of our innovation comes from having uh, big companies, and, and I think that they do a lot of good for American and American workers. But when your company has a competitive advantage because of its market share, so in other words, there are two platforms for phones. One is uh, Apple, one is Amazon. No, Google. Google, Google. Google, I'm sorry. Yes, there are no other uh, competitors in that way. Those two can do things on their app stores that uh, others can't. Does big eventually always lead to this? Because I think a lot of people think that these companies need to grow, that they're they're sort of rapacious in their need to grow. I, call, I sometimes call them the Borg, and they all they want to do is eat. Is it impossible to get to that size and not do this, do you think? Well, I think it's um, it, it's certainly tempting for a company that has an overwhelming market share to act in uh, this kind of way, because there's always a pressure to increase profits and they'll take advantage of that monopoly position. I, I don't think it's necessarily, um, you know, there, there are political systems that, that rely on benevolent dictators. Um, I, I don't think these are benevolent monopolists. And, and, and so the, the big isn't necessarily bad. If you had, you know, 10 big oil and gas companies should still have a competition at the pump for, for pricing. You don't have that in this situation. And it's a really it's a new technology. One of the fascinating things that we found in this uh, investigation is that the laws that were written in 1890 something and in, in 1914, the Sherman Act and the Clayton Act, nobody anticipated the kind of commerce that we're seeing now on the internet. So you've introduced a package of House bills this summer on antitrust that came out of these investigations. What's the status of those House bills? Could you walk us through a, uh, and which one do you think is most likely to pass? Sure. So after a 16-month investigation, we got together and, and uh, drafted six bills. Um, two of them are really no-brainer kind of bills. The other four are more controversial, especially on, on my side of the aisle. And interestingly, uh, the California uh, Democrats have a problem with them because they're in California. Uh, the, the four bills that are uh, being debated heavily and as a package would deal with some of the issues that we're trying to deal with. So we have a the, the non-discrimination bill. Uh, we've seen that Amazon is, is self-preferencing, and the non-discrimination bill basically says, Amazon, you can't do that. Now, the Facebook uh, issue, they have acquired uh, Instagram and WhatsApp, um, and they did that uh, during a time period uh, that big tech mergers occurred, and there wasn't a, a single challenge by the FTC or Department of Justice Antitrust Division. And so uh, the merger bill just says, we're going to flip the burden for these four companies on mergers. You have to basically show that a merger is pro-competitive um, as opposed to showing it's anti-competitive. Okay. The third one? The third one is uh, what we call uh, portability. And uh, just as you can take your cell phone number from Verizon and move it over to AT&T, this would give you the ability to take your digital file and move it from Google to Bing. We found that uh, after the Telecommunications Act in the 1990s, it opened up the uh, cell phone market. People were more able to uh, make determinations based on quality and price rather than having been locked in uh, because all their information existed with one carrier. So uh, that's that's the portability bill. And the last bill that's, that's really at issue, and it's probably the toughest one, it, it passed the, uh, the markup in the Judiciary Committee by just one vote, um, is what we call structural separation. And that bill would say that 
you can operate Facebook, but you can't have WhatsApp or you can't have Instagram. And, and Google, you can't have YouTube. And, so, and you, so you can't be both a marketplace and a seller of services, for example. Yes. Uh, that it, it basically separates uh, the businesses out into smaller businesses. And then there's a smaller one that updates merger filing fees, which is just a generate a revenue generation bill. Which of these, that was the only one I feel like could actually pass. What is the status from actually passing? So the, the, the merger filing fees bill, I think, is, is one of the no-brainers. The other one is the venue bill that just gives state attorney generals the same ability to, to sue in their own states and not have a case removed. But I think the two bills that are most likely to pass that would have the biggest impact are the non-discrimination bill and uh, the merger uh, bill that would uh, require them to show that a merger is pro-competitive. Uh, I think those are the two that are getting the most traction on, on both sides of the aisle. Mm-hmm. And the impact you think will be significant? Uh, by shining a light on this area, uh, one, we see more journalists taking an interest in it. Two, we see the public taking a greater interest in it. And three, uh, the the legislative branches around the country, as well as the uh, uh, courts, are going to start taking more of an interest in this. And I think you're going to start to see the uh, really public opinion moving policy in this area. Let me ask you, you mentioned uh, the Democrats. President Biden is building up an antitrust trifecta in Lena Khan, Tim Wu, and John Cantor. So talk a little bit about that. Um, how do you look at those things? Because those picks that he made are quite aggressive. These are all people who sort of probably agree with you on a lot of these things. Oh, I think they do uh, agree. And, and I, uh, I think that the the key to all of this is uh, the executive branch and, and how they uh, choose to enforce these laws. And there are laws on the books. Uh, they are more vague um, than what we are uh, proposing. Um, and so we're really giving a scalpel as opposed to a chainsaw in, uh, in the FTC and antitrust division's uh, ability to go after uh, uh, these companies. So how do you look at these picks that, that President Biden made of these three particularly, I would say, tech critics, I think? They obviously are aggressive. Uh, some of them have been talking about things that uh, really create a, a partisan division that Chairman Cicilline has been great at trying to bridge, and it scares Republicans. If you stay to a, uh, antitrust and you talk about we need to create competition in the marketplace, I, I think uh, it'll be a lot more popular on, on my side of the aisle. So if the House, if the House shifts to Republicans in the midterm elections, is there enough Republican support behind you to continue to pass these bills, which you think are good partisan efforts to do something about it? Yeah, t- tough to say, you know, who gets elected in the next uh, wave if Republicans uh, do win, uh, win the House. And, and uh, tough to say how the bills will change if Republicans win the House. But certainly the, the big tech companies are spending a lot of money right now trying to run out the clock and, and make sure that they don't get passed in this Congress where there is some momentum. And you think that will happen? At this moment. I think I think the bills will pass. Okay. Let's talk specifically about these companies. Um, the House bills were a culmination of this investigation, which you noted, into Amazon, Apple, Facebook, and Google. Let's go through these companies just quickly. And you've mentioned some specifically, but I want to talk first about Amazon. You and some other members of the House Antitrust Subcommittee just sent a letter to the company essentially asking whether its executives, including Jeff Bezos, misled you during your investigation into its business practices. Give us an overview of why you did that and what you think is going on here. So uh, there was a report um, uh, covered by a number of news organizations that talked about the self-preferencing that Amazon engages in 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 India specifically. We found the same things here in in the U.S., but 
um, I think that report really highlighted the issue at an important time because uh, hopefully these bills will get on the floor within the next, uh, or at least this year, within in, in November, December. And, and so it was it was an opportunity for us to say to Amazon, clarify what you told us before. Uh, this, this is really confusing. And uh, to his credit, frankly, Jeff Bezos, in his testimony, said, we have a policy against self-preferencing. That doesn't mean we never do it. But we have a policy against it, and we're doing our best to enforce that policy. Well, I don't know that they are doing their best to enforce the policy. So I'm, I'm not suggesting that he lied. I'm suggesting that uh, his testimony and the testimony of others uh, has been misleading in, in terms of how uh, they really oversee the operation uh, of their various uh, companies in different countries. So in other words, bad things happen. We try not to, but bad things happen. And you feel like they were they don't try to stop bad things from happening. Well, if, if you turn a blind eye to bad things, if you uh, put put your uh, head in the sand, um, if you only care about profit and, and reward profit and not good behavior, um, bad things are going to happen more often. So what do you want from Amazon specifically? Well, um, it, the, the letter requests them to clarify their position. I think there's a lot of reporting now uh, and a lot of former employees have come forward and said this is part of the business practice. And I think if Jeff Bezos um, were to be honest, he would come forward and say, um, yeah, we did it. We did it far too often. And and uh, I think then the American people would get a greater understanding of why exactly these monopolies exist and, and what the antitrust laws could do to help prevent this kind of conduct. So Apple, they just survived this antitrust suit by Epic. You recently introduced a bill that would set the rules of how companies like Google and Apple, as we talked about, run their app stores. Um, what? How do you look at them? Well, when you look at the conduct of Apple and, and take Apple Music and Spotify, they charge Spotify a 30% surcharge. Um, so they have a competitive advantage. And, and the non-discrimination bill would say, if you're going to treat Spotify this way, you got to treat Apple Music this way. You can't treat these uh, different entities differently. And what about Google? Well, when Google um, basically steals the information from Yelp and, and creates its own, and, and Google has a 90% share on handheld devices and, and mobile devices and a very similar percentage on, on desktop searches, um, it's overwhelming. And part of the reason they have that, frankly, is they have a better search engine than, than Bing and, and other products. And so kudos to them for being able to create that. But once you've created it, then uh, you can't use it in a way that discriminates against people. And uh, I'm not sure that David would agree with me on this, but in their choice of algorithms and, and uh, other conduct, they have uh, really influenced the marketplace in a way that isn't healthy. It'd be much healthier if we had uh, five Googles out there that, that people could pick and choose from. So, of course, company receiving all the attention these days, Facebook and the recent testimony from whistleblower Frances Haugen. She alleged the company continued to prioritize growth over safety, specifically brushing aside internal research about, for example, Instagram's effects on teens, not doing enough to address election misinformation, and on and on and on. These keep coming out. Do you think uh, this could be Facebook's big tobacco moment? I think it's different than big tobacco. It takes you about 30, 40 years to die of smoking, and it, and it takes you evidently just a few months as a teenage girl to, to uh, start having suicidal thoughts. And so, so worse. I think it's incredibly uh, uh, sad, frankly, that that somebody, uh, when I get on an elevator uh, in, in the house office buildings, these kids have a phone to their face and they never say hello. We have transformed our society into a uh, almost anti-social, pro-tech uh, 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 society, and it's it's scary to me. But um, as it concerns Facebook, I think they had research that showed 
full-body pictures of other teenage girls were a contributing factor to uh, a young girl's uh, self-image. They had uh, research that showed that that their uh, platform is being used by human traffickers and and drug cartels. That uh, a lot of, of bad activity was going on, um, and and frankly, they didn't do enough uh, to deal with that. Now that doesn't make them a monopoly. There are plenty of bad actors in competitive markets, but it really does point out that if we had five Facebooks, a parent would have the choice of saying, "You're not using Instagram. You're going to go use this." Uh, app over here. So one of her most significant claims is that Facebook lied to shareholders about the impact of its algorithms. Could this hit Facebook in a way that nothing else has so far? Oh, I think it will hit Facebook in a way. And I think it's, I I talk to members who are agnostic about uh, antitrust and they're coming to me now and saying, how do I sign up for this? They're they're just really deeply offended. Um, And it's not on an antitrust level. They're just deeply offended by uh, a company that would act in this way. It's almost robot-like and and without any emotion or or, uh, concern. And I understand that that you can cut corners for profit, but when you put it above uh, just basic humanity, and um, and and uh, caring for your community, I think it is something that will turn a lot of people off. Does the SEC have teeth here? The uh, Facebook paid the SEC a hundred million dollars to settle the Cambridge Analytica allegations, but didn't admit or deny those claims. The FTC had settled a case when they they paid five billion dollars. I said it was a parking ticket, and that if they added a zero, they might start to get interesting. Do our regulatory bodies have enough teeth here to fight back? Well, I have to tell you, you've mentioned a couple in in the U.S. Uh, We've had similar cases in Europe and and similar cases in Asia. And uh, they really are parking tickets to to these folks because their combined uh, revenue from these companies exceeds all but, I don't know what it is, 16 or 18 countries in the world. (laughs) The GDP of of 16 or 18 countries in the world. So um, I think that uh, judges, when they're handing out penalties or accepting settlements really have to think on a much different level than uh, what we've been thinking about before. Mm -hmm. So you recently co-authored an op-ed with Cicilline where you suggested WhatsApp and Instagram would have been less toxic if Facebook hadn't acquired them. What did you mean by that? Yeah, so both WhatsApp and Instagram, the the founders, um, had a vision for how the company should operate. And it was really- And they've left, just to be clear, they've left the company under- well, they, they they stayed with the company after the acquisition. And and then at some point, the Facebook executives were moving the company in a direction that was offensive to them. And then they left. And, and so it's quite obvious that uh, if these companies had remained independent, um, they would have flourished, they would have created competition in the marketplace, and they would have acted in a much more responsible way. And that's really why I think uh, the antitrust laws are applicable in, in this situation. So what do you do now? Do you, do, you, do you want them to, what could they do? Split off Instagram and WhatsApp, for example, at Facebook? I think that the, the, the structural separation bill would, would do just that. It would give the government and, and the courts the authority to, to separate these different entities out. And, and part of the, the rationale for that bill is that um, at the time that the acquisition occurred, there really wasn't sufficient information to be able to, to challenge it in court. So you could go back and do that. Right. Uh, It's sort of looking back and and making that uh, kind of decision. It it is the toughest bill, frankly, to to pull off. Um, In my mind, it would be much better to have uh, have five different entities that were a combination of Facebook, WhatsApp, and and Instagram, um, rather than having the three entities uh, separated. Separated. Oh, that's interesting. Especially now that 
the, the folks with a conscience have left those companies. Um, I'm not sure that you are, are really going to be able to replicate what they intended to do. So when you think of the whistleblower complaint, particularly polarization in teen mental health, as you discussed, do you think content moderation policies are the root of the problem? Um, or is it just the algorithms that these companies use? Um, House Democrats on the Energy and Commerce Committee just introduced a bill to reform Section 230. I'm not a big fan of that. This what they wrote, but it'll hold certain platforms accountable for knowingly or recklessly using malicious algorithms. Well, how do you look at 230? It's really a fascinating issue. Um, and it's, it is. it's one of the things that really divides uh, right down the aisle. Um, the Democrats in the House, and I'm speaking for them, but I, I, from talking to friends, they, they believe that uh, President Trump and others have been reckless regarding the January 6th incident, the the vaccine mandates, uh, issues like that. And so they think that uh, the platforms should do a better job of regulating speech when it comes to what they believe are irresponsible statements. Um, on the right, uh, and, and Republicans uh, are upset that uh, Republican speech uh, is being uh, moderated, uh, censored, um, and and so they are. Uh, we are upset with that, and so the platforms really have a, a delicate balance to uh, tightrope to walk. Um, from my perspective, we've always allowed speech in this country that has been wrong, and and if you have a newspaper, obviously there are libel laws, but uh, you are allowed to print things um, and then have another newspaper compete with you. And I think that's really the answer is the competition. We have, uh, you know, cable news channels that disagree with each other fundamentally. Yes, I've noticed. Um, I've noticed that. <laughs> and I think that we are a better country, from my perspective, the more information that's that's out there. And, and, and having said, even, even if some of it's uh, flat wrong and scientifically wrong, having said that, I have to tell you, I go to a lot of town hall meetings and other meetings um, where I get people who are just furious with me because, you know, I, uh, I I didn't support President Trump on this, or I'm not talking enough about the border or, or whatever the issue is. And they just get so ratcheted up with the uh, the Internet and, and the information on the Internet. So you don't mind that? You don't mind that even when it's false? Uh, do you think social media is biased, for example, against conservatives? I know that was an issue on your committee. Um, I, I don't think we're ever going to agree on what's fair censorship and what's not fair censorship. I look at the uh, Hunter Biden uh, laptop story, um, and I think that that was unfairly censored right before the election. David may disagree with me. He, he may very well say that, you know, uh, there, there wasn't enough proof and it had too much of an influence on the election. And so um, it was fair to, to do that. Um, I think that uh, when President Trump raised the issue of the origins of COVID, uh, it was not an unfair issue to raise, and, and it's something that should have been debated at the time. Uh, there are things that I think have been censored. I don't monitor much on the left, and so I don't know whether the left has been censored uh, a lot also. So it's hard for me to say whether it's uh, unfair censorship, but I certainly think that the right uh, has been uh, censored. All right. I, 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 you'd be surprised to say I agree with you on the Hunter Biden. They should not have taken that off. And they did then say we made a mistake. But it's not a pattern. It's an anecdote. And the most popular things on, say, Facebook or any of the sites are conservative. So you think that this idea of misinformation should not, should just, you're just going to take it at these meetings, even if you don't agree with the people, what the people are saying, and even if the things they say are incorrect. Well, no, I, I take that as an opportunity to educate and, and to disagree with people and to challenge uh, their assumptions. Uh, it's not popular, but that's what I do at, at these meetings when I'm uh, confronted with that. 
Section 230C talks about something that is otherwise objectionable. And, and you, can, you can run a Mack truck through something that is otherwise objectionable. It should involve the same thing that it involves for newspapers and others. You should not print something that is false and would lead to uh, imminent danger to a, a person. The more vague you get, the more difficult it is for these platforms to make a, a good decision on, on what should be on their platforms and what should be off. If we're talking about uh, vaccines and ivermectin, for example, uh, that's a fair debate for us to have in this country. I, I had cancer. I had stage four cancer. I had somebody come up to me and say, you shouldn't do chemo. You should eat blueberries. Well, I don't think, you know, I'm not the smartest bear in the woods, but I'm not the dumbest bear in the woods either. I looked at them and I thought, well, okay, if you get stage four cancer, you go ahead and do that, but I'm going to go get my chemo. And I, and I survived. And I don't think I would have if I just relied on buckets of uh, blueberries. So I, I do think that uh, we have to make sure that we have a, a K through 12 education system that, you know, develops critical thinking skills. And uh, we have to rely on people to, to uh, make good choices. You know, I get your point, and I do agree with you on many things, but, you know, vaccine inf misinformation, for example, and I would call some of it really dangerous. Um, you can have your debate of whether you should take a vaccine or not, but it's very hard when it overwhelms um, in a way that, say, the COVID misinformation has. It's different when you're taking a, a, a blueberry cleanse or whatever you want to call it for cancer, um, and then not getting vaccinated because you have bad information, and that affects a wider range of people. Uh, sure. So uh, one of the things that you do and, and that I do, uh, we consider not only the information, but the source of the information. And when I go and I talk to my doctor about vaccines, he gives me certain information. I don't just take his word for it. I, I also do some research and I look at uh, the, the different opinions out there. But I certainly trust my doctor's opinion more than I do uh, some website that existed, uh, that's been in existence for two weeks. And, uh, and so I think that's part of what we have to do as Americans. But I don't know Know that it's overwhelming. I, I don't frankly spend a lot of time. I don't own a TV and I don't spend a lot of time uh, on the internet watching uh, shows or uh, reading things uh, from unreliable sources. And, and so the people that do that, I don't care how much you try to protect some of these people, they're going to make stupid choices because they rely on, on stupid information. Mm -hmm. I mean, for example, you were speaking of blueberries and cancer and you said in December of 2020, I have the freedom to decide if I'm going to take a vaccine or not. And in the case, I'm not going to take the vaccine. And yet you are now vaccinated, correct? I'm not. You're not vaccinated. You're not vaccinated. When you decide, for example, I'm not going to get vaccinated. How do you, how do you manage that when people have so much emotion around these things? Um, well, I, I, I manage it by uh, trying to stay optimistic and, and uh, stay focused on uh, the uh, commonality and, and not uh, the uh, differences that, that we have. We'll be back in a minute. If you like this interview and want to hear others, follow us on your favorite podcast app. You'll be able to catch up on Sway episodes you may have missed, like my conversation with Congressman David Cicilline, and you'll get new ones delivered directly to you. More with Representative Buck after the break. Sway. 
As a global leader in experiential education, Drexel University encourages students to both gain knowledge and find new ways to turn that knowledge into action. Drexel is proud to be one of 39 private institutions in the nation to achieve recognition by the Carnegie Classification of Institutions of Higher Education as an R1 research institution, affirming this Philadelphia University's commitment to discovery and innovation. Experience what education can be at drexel.edu. I use the New York Times Games app every single day. I love playing Connections. With Connections, I need to twist my brain to see the different categories. I think I know this connection. Look, Bath is a city in England, Sandwich is a city in England, Reading is a city in England, and I'm going to guess Derby is a city in England. I started Wordle 194 days ago, and I haven't missed a day. The New York Times Games app has all the games right there. I absolutely love Spelling Bee. I always have to get genius. I've seen you yell at it and say, that <laughs> should be a word. Totally should be a word. Sudoku is kind of my version of lifting heavy weights at the gym. At this point, I'm probably more consistent with doing the crossword than brushing my teeth. When I can finish a hard puzzle without pins, I feel like the smartest person in the world. When I have to look up a clue to help me, I'm learning something new. It gives me joy every single day. Start playing in the New York Times Games app. You can download it at nytimes.com slash games app. All right. So when you come to something like election misinformation, for example, and this big lie theory that's all over these platforms, and it is more than anywhere else. And I know it's on cable. I know it's in newspapers. I know it's everywhere. But the stuff flowing over these giant platforms is really quite vast. Now, this was allowed to go unfettered. Do you think that is okay, even if you do not agree with it? I, I, first, yes. The answer is yes. Um, and two, I don't believe in the big lie. And and I have seen uh, many of the articles and I have analyzed them. I was the uh, state Republican chair in Colorado during this cycle. Um, many of the accusations that were made concerning Dominion machines and, and illegal immigrants voting and other things were things that I was able to monitor. And it, it, in my belief, it, it absolutely didn't happen in Colorado. And I'm very skeptical that it happened uh, anywhere else. And I haven't seen clear evidence that it that it has happened other places. Um, I think that um, when people continue to spread false information, they lose credibility and they lose popularity. Um, and, and these debates, frankly, have been helpful. I think that uh, while we, um, I, I may disagree with some of my colleagues about the, the big lie, quote unquote, I don't disagree that we need to make our elections uh, every bit as secure as we can make them at the same time promoting participation uh, in our elections. And so I, I think those are good discussions for our country to have. So just to make sure I have it correct, you don't believe the election was stolen and uh, believe the big lie is a lie. Um, but you just said that people people figure it out and then the, the truth outs itself. President Trump has never been more popular. And this lie thing is doing pretty well as a lie. How do you combat that? Again, is it just by competition? I think it is. We have competition in the uh, political world, just like I would love to have competition on, on the platforms. And I think that at some point, if President Trump decides to run for president again, there will be competition uh, on the Republican side. Um, and there will certainly be competition on the Democrat side. And voters will make a choice. And 
Frankly, I think that President Trump's policies were better than President Obama and President Biden's policies. Um, there are other things that, that people will look at and say, I can't vote for that man. And so I, I get that. But that's part of uh, the, the beauty of this country is we don't have a communist party uh, in uh, like they do in China that decides what information is going out there and what information can't go out there. Okay, so when Liz Cheney condemned the big lie in May, uh, you were one of the few Republicans who defended her. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I think I think uh, one of the reasons I love the, the Republican Party is we have a vigorous debate about abortion. We have a vigorous debate about guns. We have a vigorous debate about a lot of issues. And uh, the fact that Liz Cheney stood up and said, uh, I think this is a lie and I think it's very dangerous for us to promote this is part of uh, what I believe is is an important uh, function and, and process in the Republican Party. Just as the Democrats challenge themselves all the time on, on a lot of issues, we need to challenge ourselves. And so I think that, uh, you know, I I don't condemn uh, Senator Sinema or Manchin for what they're doing. I think it strengthens the Democrat Party. And I think that Liz Cheney strengthened the Republican Party. I didn't agree with everything she said, but I, I certainly believe that it's part of our process. But she seems to be party of one. You're saying a vigorous debate. It's pretty much Liz Cheney and Adam Kinsinger saying this isn't true. And you've just said it, the big lie was not true. Um, but it's not a vigorous debate. Well, I'll tell you, I think it is vigorous behind closed doors. I don't know that okay. it is vigorous right now out in the open. Ah, uh, closed doors. Don't get me with those. Yeah, no. Well, I, I suppose a reporter doesn't like the closed doors very much. But Yeah, who likes uh, them? The reality is that I have been involved in a number of uh you know, very uh, heated discussions about uh, both the November election and the January 6th, uh, you know, whatever you want to call it. I consider it a riot. Uh, other people uh, use the term insurrection. Um, but I think that the um, that is a an important part of, of what we're uh, trying to accomplish. And, and yes, I think that uh, the, the American public needs to understand that uh, the Republican Party um, is not all um, on one side or, or the other of this issue. And, and really the problem that I think uh, Liz has is a lot of Republicans want to focus on the policies that are in place now, Afghanistan, the border, inflation, um, and not focus on the November election. Um, and so uh, when she is focused on the, the November election and arguing with President Trump, it elevates that issue above the issues that a lot of us would like to be talking about before the midterm election. Sure. But that's sort of saying like the the lady should keep her mouth shut, right? Isn't no, that, I mean, no, no, no. I think okay. when you're going to a, a press conference, which she did, and and you are, um, uh, you know, asked a question whether President Trump is the leader uh, of the party uh, going forward, um, there is a more polite way, or a more diplomatic way, or a more unifying way of messaging than to say he has no role in the party. Um, uh, of course, he has a role in the party, just as President Obama uh, has a role in the Democrat Party. And so uh, those, those kinds of statements uh, detracted from what Republicans want to focus on right now. But you think it's just saying it in public, airing your laundry in public is what essentially you're saying, is that she should move on? Or do you still continue to support her for her truth, I guess? I, I think Liz Cheney should talk about what Liz Cheney wants to talk about. When she is the number three in the, the conference chair and she is in charge of messaging for Republicans, um, it's important to find the unifying messages that all Republicans in the conference can get behind. And that's, I think, why uh, she lost ultimately lost her position in, in that regard. I, I get it. At the same time, if she believes something's really hurting the republic, 
This is what she's saying. I think that's why she's doing it. Um, but when you look at the overall polarization all over the place, do you think you have a bipartisan effort ongoing with antitrust and other issues? Do you think that's sustainable? You know, here you are in Congress, as you said, it's refreshing to see this working. Um, but is, is the polarization just impossible to get anything done, including something that is reasonable like this? Um, so I, uh, when I started in public office, I was elected district attorney and I met with the uh, publisher of the local newspaper and, and he said, Ken, there's a, a plane that leaves uh, Newark uh, every day and lands in LAX um, and we don't cover that. The one that ends up in the cornfield in Iowa, we cover. And the same thing happens in Congress. And so I think the American public has a, a misperception about Congress and our, our ability to work together. I'm very happy to have worked with uh, Chairman Cicilline on this issue, and I'm really glad that he included me and trusted me. We could not have been, uh, we could not be disagreeing more on some issues and, and frankly, engaging in, in food fights with each other on some issues. But we put all those things aside and we sit down, we roll up our sleeves and we get the work done. Well, how do you do that? Um, I just wrote a piece about the pro wrestlization of Twitter, for example. Um, I was talking about some things Marjorie Taylor Greene did um, and, and, and the use of it. And I know on your committee, Jim Jordan enjoys doing that quite a bit, causing ruckuses. When people have these different megaphones on these platforms, is it impossible to get back to a shared reality again? No, I don't think it's impossible. I think it's it happens every day. And I'm really happy that I'm part of it. I, I am not going to agree with uh, David Cicilline. I, I am. I, I live in the country. Um, uh, it would take a certain amount of time for a police officer to respond to my house, and, and I have uh, weapons in my house. Um, David Cicilline was the mayor of Providence, Rhode Island, and he had serious uh, violent crime problems with guns, um, and he advocated for certain gun control measures. So we, we disagree on some issues. We put those aside, and we move forward on an issue like antitrust, where we both think the country will benefit from more competition with big tech. And I think that happens every day in many ways uh, in the House and Senate. I think people live in silos uh, right now. I think they, they get their information from, uh, you know, very discreet uh, sources. And I think that we don't have the Walter Cronkite telling us the news and everybody agrees on the facts. We can't even agree on the facts now. Forget about what conclusions we should draw from the facts, but we can't even agree on the facts. And so I don't know how to get there. I, I do think part of the answer is that we have uh, more options uh, to choose from. And, and I think that given more options, we will be less likely to fall into the extremes. And if more Republicans, for example, come on Sway, for example, I try to, I ask all of them to come on. <laughs> Not all of them. I will join you anytime. <laughs> all right. Um, thank you so much. I really appreciate well, it. Thank you very much. It's good to be with you. Sway is a production of New York Times Opinion. It's produced by Naima Raza, Blakeney Schick, Matt Kwong, Daphne Chen, and Caitlin O'Keefe. Edited by Naima Raza, with original music by Isaac Jones, mixing by Sonia Herrero and Carol Saburo, and fact-checking by Kate Sinclair and Kristen Lin. Special thanks to Shannon Busta and Mahima Chablani. If you're in a podcast app already, you know how to get your podcasts. So follow this one. If you're listening on the Times website and want to get each new episode of Sway delivered to you, with a bushel of blueberries, which I find delicious, but P.S. doesn't cure cancer, download any podcast app, then search for Sway and follow the show. We release every Monday and Thursday. Thanks for listening. <laughs>